And just this week, Ken, one of our residents, a dear friend of mine, fell in the bathroom. He was on the floor for 17 hours before they found him and had pneumonia. And then Rose, she took her scooter. She said, I'm going to the mall. I'll be back in an hour. Eight hours later, she had not returned. The police found her downtown on her scooter. She forgot how to get back home. And then there's Joan, just this week, fell and broke her pelvis. So I've learned uh, something about watching God's people suffer. But you know, they don't complain. They talk about the wonderful presence of the Lord Jesus in their life. And then Ken said to me, uh, he's better, doing much better now, and he talked with me. And he said, the one thing that I want is to end my life well as a testimony to my children and grandchildren. And so I want to talk about how to end your life well in the Lord. And I'm going to refer to Scripture, the Apostle Paul's testimony in Philippians 3, verse 12 to 17, as an example of how to prepare to meet the Lord, how to end your life well. Let me read the scripture. In verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold on me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind, and reaching forward to the things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. There are three points that I have on how to end your life well. First, stop living in the past. Secondly, engage the present with the Lord. And thirdly, live with eternity in view. Simple message, but very practical. So first, stop living in the past. Living with regrets can be debilitating, demoralizing. In verse 13, our text says, But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Now before you can forget them, you have to deal with them. You have to deal with the sin question. Rabbi Saul of Tarsus had many justifiable regrets. He confessed his past as a religious persecutor of the church in Acts 26, 9 to 12. Listen to what Saul did as a zealous Pharisee. 
He said, indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Yeshua of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly enraged against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He was a terrorist, a religious terrorist, and he had the authority of the chief priest to do it. On his way to Damascus to capture the believers, he met Jesus. He had a heavenly vision, a brighter than the sun. And Jesus asked him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, who are you? And he revealed himself. He repented. He found forgiveness. Jesus reconciled him. And he became known as the Apostle Paul. Now he became a better man. Instead of persecuting the church, he did all he could to strengthen it. But he was not yet perfect. The one astonishment I have as a believer is I thought by the time I was 40, I would be perfected. But I still have things that come up, and I have to repent. The Apostle Paul said in verse 12, not that I have already attained, or am already perfect, but I press on. Now, when we sin in thought or deed, we must immediately deal with it. And we have to be honest with God. I visited Asbury College, and during lunch, the students were lined up at the counter, and at the beginning, there was a big pile of apples, and the cook had put a note there. Only one apple to a student. Remember, God is watching you. <laughs> at the end of the counter, there was a big bowl of chocolate chip cookies, and a student put up a sign. Take all the cookies you want. God is watching the apples. <laughs> The fact is, God is watching everything. Listen to Psalm 14, verse 2 to 4. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. God sees it all. Remember King David, a man after God's own heart? But one day he had a temptation. He had a temptation, and he committed adultery with the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who, by the way, was a faithful servant. And then when she was pregnant, discovered that, he tried to get Uriah back from the front, of the war, 
and to go with his wife and cover it up. But he refused to go in with his wife. And then he planned the murder of Uriah and tried to make it look like an act of war. Just an act of war. Well, when he came back to his senses, he wrote a psalm of repentance. And think what God would have done to David, could have done. David broke the commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. He broke the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. He broke the commandment, thou shalt not murder. And so when he came to his senses, he said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before me. We have to acknowledge it. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. God was watching him while he yielded to temptation, while he gave in to lust. And yet, when he was ready to repent, God's mercy was available. The Bible talks of the sure mercies of David. The Apostle Paul said, I have not attained all that I could have in my spiritual life. I'm not yet perfect. I have to watch myself because I have much more to comprehend about my salvation. So believers still have to deal with the flesh life. Don't underestimate it, its effectiveness. There is still the lust of the flesh, the, the pride of life, and that's the easy to fall into pride. I wonder how many times I did something out of pride when I thought I was serving the Lord. But God knows. But watch out. Don't make excuses. But on the other hand, I'm not excusing sin because God has provided the opportunity for us to have victory over sin. We are born of God, a new birth, a spiritual birth, born of the Spirit of God. And God has given us his Holy Spirit. So if we yield to the Lord, God will bring us through temptation. But 1 Corinthians 10, 12 warns us, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. If you think by pride that you can overcome all sin, you're in trouble. I remember reading the story of a very successful pastor at a large church. He was invited to all the special conferences like Moody Bible Conference to speak. He had everything to hold on to. He had a beautiful and devoted wife, and he had good children. One day, he led a, 
a dentist to the Lord who was married to a French model. And uh, he started to fantasize. She was in the hospital for a minor operation. He visited her. They started to flirt. They started to talk sexually. Instead of taking off, running from, fleeing from fornication, fleeing from his lust, he locked the door of her private room and they committed adultery. For that, just that moment of sin, he lost his career. He lost the respect of his wife and family. He lost the respect of God's people. Unnecessary. He lost his honor. Unnecessary. And she lost the husband she really loved. And the security of her family. Unnecessary. Remember this, when you are tempted, go immediately to the Lord and say, Lord, keep me safe. God provides a way to restoration. This is amazing. Most believers will not commit adultery. They might think about it, but they don't commit it. Most Christians do not commit murder. But there's a danger of drifting away. I, I I think that one of the first incom- the first uh, sign that you're drifting is you get critical, critical of the church, critical of God's people, and you start saying, "I can stay home and I have one day off." But you know, that enemy is stepping in, and here's what Hebrews three twelve says. Beware, brethren and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. See, sin is deceitful. A person who sins will may blame his wife for his failures. He doesn't acknowledge it for himself. He's deceived. And it comes with the heart of unbelief. And unbelief comes with a critical spirit. But there's hope for believers. They may fall. And you know, they can't go back in time to undo what they did. But they can be forgiven. 1 John 1, 8. Now, this is John, the beloved disciple. If anyone was perfected, it would have been John. But listen to what he says. If we, includes himself, say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, admit them, he is faithful, faithful to us, and just, he's just because he paid for our sins on the cross when he died. He took our place. He paid for them. So he's still just to forgive us from all unrighteousness, to forgive us, us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned when God says we have, 
our conscience says we have, we make God to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, I've heard some theologians say, this verse, these verses, are not for believers, but it's a sinner who comes to Christ. He confesses his past sins, and all his sins are cared for. But you know, we need forgiveness along the way. What a wonderful salvation. <laughs> a free gift of God. Wow, I tell you, it's exciting to be a believer. So I don't agree with these theologians. I think this was John saying, beware. And here is the way to be restored. You know, John said, little children, I write these things unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He was righteous for us, who is a propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. You know, when Jesus died, the Son of God, his sacrifice was sufficient for the sins of the whole world. And how sad it is that most people do not take advantage of God's forgiveness. They do not accept the sacrifice of Christ. So deal honestly with God. Accept his forgiveness. Then you can put behind you all the past memories of sin and say, I'm forgiven, I'm cleansed, I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Secondly, engage the present with the Lord. We can engage the present with all its obstacles of life because the Lord is our helper. Listen to Paul in verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. The Lord has laid hold of us for a purpose. And he says, I agree with that, and I cooperate with God. Now, he did not stop engaging in the, the present because of his imperfections. He kept pressing onward because he knew that the Lord was his helper. I like Spurgeon, his great English preacher who wrote meditations for morning and evening. And here's one that he wrote. He, he said, I will help thee, saith the Lord, Isaiah 41, 14. This morning, let us hear the Lord Jesus speak to each of us. I will help thee. It is but a small thing for me, thy God, to help thee. Consider what I have done already. What not help thee? Why, I bought thee with my blood. What not help you? I died for you. And if I have done the greater, will I not do the less? Help thee, it is the least thing I will ever do for thee. I've done more and will do more. I laid aside my glory and became a man for you. I gave up my life for you. 
And if I did all this, I will surely help thee. Now, in helping thee, I'm giving thee what I have brought for thee already. And Spurgeon continued, If thou hast need of a thousand times as much help, I would give it to you. Thou requires little compared with what I am ready to give. Tis much for thee to need, but is nothing for me to bestow. Help thee, fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed. I am thy God, and I will give thee aid. You see, we know that the Lord Jesus is our advocate, and he intercedes to the Father on our behalf. But we ought to know that he's our helper, and he wants to help us. The best way to press on in the present is to accept the Lord as your helper. Let him be your helper. Listen to 1 Samuel seven twelve. Samuel took a stone and set it up and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord helped us. So that we forget the past and our failures and our sins because they're cleansed. But we remember the help that God has given us. You know, I look for illustrations when I give a truth. And I have an illustration I've given you before, but I don't know a better one to give you about how the Lord helps. And it's a personal experience, so those are the best illustrations. If you forgive me for repeating it, I want to repeat it again because it means so much to me. Let me go back in a prayer manual when I was... Um, it was November the 21st, 1983. I turned 55 years of age. And I was very concerned when I came to Canada because we had no pension, we had no equity for a house, and I realized we were in a strange country for us at the time. Not strange anymore. <laughs> we became a Canadian. But... I realized at my age that if what if I got a heart attack and I couldn't work or I got a stroke and I would leave my wife in without any financial support and that worried me and I recorded this prayer in my journal I have a prayer journal Dear Lord Jesus I read the obituaries every now and then and notice that many younger people than me are dying. It makes me realize my own mortality. I'm not questioning my eternal life or the heaven you promised me. My heart is settled on those issues. My fear is being considered too old for opportunities to serve you because very few pastors are called in their 50s and 60s. Gloomy questions sometimes trouble me. What if I get a heart attack or a stroke? What if I die and leave my wife alone in Canada with no pension or money to survive? Every church board I ever served in America promised me if our church prospers financially under your ministry, so will you. 
in spite of the fact those churches grew and prospered financially under your blessing, I left no better off financially than when I arrived. No one on any of those boards seemed to care if I had health insurance, dental insurance, or a retirement pension. In every case, you blessed my ministry with extraordinary church growth, but the financial compensations promised me were never forthcoming. In my present state, I am not in any condition to get sick or die. Help us, Lord. I ended my prayer in Jesus' name. Now, I wasn't trying to complain. I, I realized that but the, I realized the Lord was my helper, and I was asking for help. Well, my faith was not strong in 1983. I remember walking on Jasper Avenue. You remember this illustration. I hesitate to give it twice, but it's a good illustration. What can I do? Anyway, I was walking on Jasper Avenue in Edmonton, and I was very concerned about our financial situation. And uh, I actually felt my stomach getting tight with distress. And as I was walking, there was an old man standing by the, a gate. I never saw him before or since. He came over to me. And he said, the Lord hath taken care of me in my old age, and he'll take care of you in your old age. How would he know? That was a messenger from the Lord. Either it was an angel or it was a Christian that was led to do that. But it comforted me. And then I thought in my mind, you know, I pray sometimes in my mind, God reads our minds. And I said, you know, Lord, after Job went through his trials, you led his family and his friends to come and give him a gold piece and silver. And I know you could do that for me, kind of a silly prayer request. But uh, I gave it no more thought. I forgot I had thought that. And I was invited to speak at South Gate, Southview Alliance Church in Calgary, and a man called me up, Mr. Brown, his name was. He said, I go to that church, and I want to invite you and your wife to stay with us overnight so you don't go back at night to Edmonton. I said, of course, we'll be happy to. So we're in his living room, sitting on the couch. Out of the blue, he said, do you have any gold? I said, no, I don't have any gold. He went into another room and came out with a shoebox with gold coins and gold bars. He said, which do you like better? Well, the gold coin is bright. I said, the gold coin is better. He said, take one. I said, what? You're giving me a gold coin? I'm not Billy Graham. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> Whoever heard of that? He said, take two. So uh, it was a good line I had. And then uh, he said, do you have any silver? I said, no, I don't have any silver. He gave me six ounces of silver. You remember me telling you this. But it's worth telling again. 
And I said, and he said, now you can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. I said, why, why would you give this to me? He said, God told me to. And then I remembered that prayer that I prayed. So then I was getting serious with the Lord. And I said, Lord, you know, one day I'm going to have to retire. And uh, I want to ask you that when I retire, I would have this much assets. And then I apologized. I said, Lord, I don't serve you because of the money. I took it back. I did that again. I took it back. Told my wife, I feel I should pray for this prayer. She said it will never happen. I said, well, I'm going to pray. And I said, Lord, you know my heart, and I'll serve you whatever the situation might be. But I would ask that if it be your will to grant that. Ten years later, when I retired from my church, I had what I asked God for. In fact, a little more than that. God did it miraculously, or I couldn't be in a senior resident. Now, I should have known that God is our helper. And I remember the verse that says, you have not because you ask not. But uh, the Lord took me through eight years of education and uh, and the, the Lord got me through that. I should uh, have known the Lord was going to do it. Anyway, the Lord was very gracious to me. And uh, I can remember back God took care of me and my family. All my children got college education. Three were got master's degrees. One got a doctorate without any debt. Think of the fact that the Lord wants to be your helper. Now, I know when we see the Lord, he's going to say, why didn't you ask me to help you in that problem? And you might say, well, I kind of felt unworthy, or I thought you wanted me to work on it myself, or I thought I didn't want to bother you with it. What? Bother? The Lord wants to be your helper. He wants to help you in your difficulties and your trouble. Try. I, I'll tell you, you'll be surprised that the Lord is so good. Well, so if you have to engage in the present, which, by the way, has its ups and downs and its obstacles, accept Jesus as your helper, and you'll face life much better. Thirdly, live with eternity in view. Now, as Christians, we realize salvation is by grace. We're not going to be able to boast in heaven, I did it. I, I, I was perfect, but it's by the grace of God. It's a gift of God. Now, while salvation is a free gift, we will be rewarded for a faithful service. Listen to verse 14 of our text. Paul said, I press towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's an ultimate prize for the price 
for the prize. And I say prize, that's okay. I'm not perfect, Jen. <laughs> it's a prize. And I think the prize is the approval of the Lord. We work for, to hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. When we obey, we give him joy. I want that. I'll be happy if he says, well, you did all right. That would be okay. I don't want to serve like Jonah the prophet. Remember Jonah the runaway prophet? God told him to go to Nineveh, who were the enemies of Israel, and tell them that in 40 days he would destroy their city. Jonah fled in the opposite direction, taking a boat to go to Tarshish to escape the presence of God. After his fish experience, Jonah did what God told him to do. From one end of the city to the other, he shouted, in 40 days the city will be destroyed. Jonah didn't tell the people why. He didn't tell them about God. He just said, told them, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days. Everyone in Nineveh repented to the astonishment of Jonah. And God spared the city. God relented, changed his mind, did not follow through, which he had declared through Jonah. Now you listen to Jonah's lament. He was very angry with God over this. He thought this would be the opportunity to get rid of our enemies. And Jonah said in Jonah 4, verse 2, So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a generous and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. For Israel, I want this. I want your loving kindness, but not for Nineveh. Not for that wicked city. Well, that's an unworthy prophet. He was angry with God. He didn't take advantage of this time of repentance and say, I want to give you the Torah. I want to give you the Lord's word. I want to give you the commandments of God. I want you to become truly the people of God. He wanted them dead, destroyed, annihilated, limited. I want to finish like the Apostle Paul did, not like Jonah did. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure's hand is at hand. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that, on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. If we love the Lord, you see, the Lord only wants two things from us, really. Trust him. Because if we trust him, we'll obey him and love him as he loves us. I want to give you another quote from Spurgeon. He said, 
but we have expectations beyond this life. We shall die soon, and then our expectation is from him. As we approach the heavenly gate, we expect to hear the welcome invitation. Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from, from the foundations of the world. I'm expecting that. I know that. And so we have this great hope. And you know, as I watch the people that suffer at Penn, at, Prim, at the Primrose, I, I watch them suffer in faith. I mean, I, I've not heard any of them complain. <laughs> They've accepted their life. I mean, they're in their 90s. One is a hundred years old there. And suffering, I mean, physically, you break down. But I feel like I'm with a lot of jobs. But they seem to trust the Lord. And they talk, I, I was just talking with Harold, another resident. He just lost his wife two days ago. He said, you know, I'm sad, but I'm happy. Because I know she's with Jesus. Wouldn't you like that confidence? Knowing that what's waiting for you in glory. See, you have the witness of the Holy Spirit. It's not a wishful thinking. And you know, I want to conclude with good news. I want you to listen to our Jewish prophet in Isaiah 1.18. Come now. And let us reason together, saith the Lord. Let's be reasonable. Let's reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Notice the invitation is to come now and reason with God so that your sins would be cleansed. If God could forgive David of covetousness, of murder, of adultery, we can be sure that he'll forgive. For he said, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Hallelujah. What a wonderful salvation we have. What a glorious hope. I don't know if any of you have not yet accepted Jesus as your Savior. But if you haven't, listen to the Holy Spirit. And you can do it right now in your heart. You can open your heart to Jesus. If you're a believer and you've made some dumb decisions in life, that's wrecked your life, you can come back. And you can have the Lord help you get out of the mess. Trust him. Love him. He will not fail you. So let's pray. And while we pray, you ask Jesus to come into your heart and to save you. Or ask Jesus to forgive you for all those foolish mistakes you made. Ask him to be your helper. You've accepted him as your savior. You've accepted him as your Lord, as your mediator, as your advocate. Why not accept him as your helper? And start bringing your troubles to him and watch him at work. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Where would we be without it? 
Lord, you guide us so well. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our helper. Thank you for watching over us and answering our multitude of prayers. Lord, may this truth just take root in the hearts of the listeners. And they'll trust you to be their helper and start taking these things to you. You can open doors that no one can shut. And you can shut doors that no one can open. But in your will, you will lead us in the right path. For the Lord lead us in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, blessed Holy Spirit, for your faithful help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.